special episode today we have a very special guest we are all super excited for so real quick we just want to introduce uh everyone here obviously i'm phoenix uh there's nathan nathan say hello hey guys nathan and we are just so thrilled to be joined by such a great guest and hope you guys enjoy jeremy jeremy find us on all the platforms and we are extremely excited to have her on there all right and nick nick is here as well nick what's up hello everyone just gonna echo what everybody else said this is a awesome opportunity for us and we're just super excited all right so this episode we have a special guest who uh we cannot wait to talk to uh her name is april rain she is a 20-year law professional who started the viral hashtag movement Oscar So White in 2015. It has led to some of the most permanent systemic changes in the 90 plus year history of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. She is a diversity and inclusion advocate. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss April Rain. April, how are you? I am well, thank you. Thank you all so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We Absolutely, we are yeah. like so so over the over the moon that you you decided to uh join us on our podcast. Uh so I don't even know where to begin. So <laughs> uh what made you decide to come on on uh on our show and and discuss with us? My son who is a rising journalism senior at Ohio University um texted me and said hey, mom, would you do this for one of my guys? <laughs> and I said, yes, yeah, so here we are. So yeah, you know, it's, it's all about connections and nepotism, I guess. Love nepotism sometimes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you again. We really appreciate it. Uh, so I guess we want to kick off with, obviously, the, the most thing, the thing that's most attached to your name is the Oscar So White hashtag. And, uh, how it started i've seen a few interviews where you talk about uh the first tweet where you posted was oscar so white they asked to touch my hair correct uh gotta say hilarious by the way that's super funny um and it started sort of sarcastically and at what point do you think it branched into this social change movement that's a good question. Um, so, you know, I, it all started on one January morning in 2015. I was still a practicing attorney at the time. Um, I was a big movie, theater, entertainment buff, but I didn't have, you know, any of the connections or anything like that that I had now. Um, so I was watching the Oscar nominations that morning, um, which is on one of the morning television programs, and it just struck me that category after category, both in front of and behind the camera, there weren't a lot or any, in some categories, people of color nominated. So I picked up my phone and got on Twitter, which is my social media platform of choice, um, and said, Oscar so white, they asked to touch my hair. And that was it. I then went on to work. Um, you know, I checked in on Twitter around lunchtime, and the hashtag based on that one tweet was trending around the world. Um, and in fact, uh, Twitter told me, later that between it was about a six week period between the day the nominations come out and then the actual oscar ceremony and in that six week period the hashtag was used over six hundred thousand times wow. um so wow. you know that that was interesting uh you know as you mentioned it started off as sarcastic as i was being so some of the original replies to oscar so white were things like oscar so white they find mayonnaise too spicy <laughs> Um, Oscar's so white, they wear Birkenstocks in the wintertime, which I'm sure you've seen on campus. Uh, so, you know, and so it wasn't until a couple of days later that we actually started having conversations about diversity and inclusion with respect to the Oscars originally, 
uh, and then it broadened out to the entire entertainment industry. But it wasn't until the following year, 2016, when again, there were no people of color nominated in any of the acting categories. And remember, that's Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. 20, category, 20 slots and no people of color were nominated, that Oscar So White really took off. So this was actually year two now. Um, and I think that's because people said, okay, well, one time is a fluke, two times in a row is a pattern. And so maybe we need to figure out what this lady is talking about. And so it was in 2016 um, that the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, the folks who run the Oscars, committed to, uh, among other things, doubling the number of people of color and doubling the number of women within their membership ranks by this year, by 2020. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, so we recently just had the 2019 uh, Academy Awards where only one person of color was nominated in the acting category. So I'm curious if, if anyone has reached out to you uh, for any, any input that you may have had or any suggestions to change anything in the Academy? Um, no, they haven't. So it's, you know, we're on year six now and surprisingly enough, uh, or maybe not surprisingly to some, uh, the Academy has never reached out to me uh, about these issues, which, you know, is, is kind of, uh, interesting, but not surprising, right? Because to reach out to me would be to indicate that they, that there's a problem yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. that they actually have to grapple with, uh, as opposed to either sleep, sweeping things under the rug or making the changes like they did in 2016, but then saying, oh, well, we were always planning to do this anyway. And it just so happened you know, that we're getting dragged on social media, uh, you know, when we make this announcement. Um, because I could have told them back in 2016 that doubling the number of people of color from 8 to 16%, which is what they did, so they hit their mark, um, wasn't going to be enough. That, uh, and they missed the mark with respect to women. They only went from 25% in 2016 to 32% in you know, 2019. We're waiting for the 2020 figures, but I can assure you <laughs> they're not going to get from 32% you know, to 50% this year, right? Um, and the issue is... I, I believe in meritocracy. I believe that you know you do the best work that you can, and then you put it out there into the world, and then you let the best person win. The best performance should win. That's what I believe. It's not an affirmative action thing or anything like that. But if you are not um, looking far and wide to find the best performances, how do you know that you've gotten them? Right. So for me, I believe that ge that talent is not geographically specific. So the next Brad Pitt could be living, you know, in Athens, Ohio. <laughs> you know, the next exactly. Viola Davis could be living in Austin, Texas, but they don't know how to find an agent. You know, they're not in New York or L.A. and, you know, and know the right people. And so they sort of languish there. So if Hollywood and you know the entertainment industry isn't looking for talent in the in the best possible places all over the place and how do they in fact know that this is the best performance of 2020 right the other issue is the academy and many other um, awards shows and organizations like the golden globes and you know and, and all the rest of them basically do not require their members to view the performances before they vote which really? is stunning to me yeah. really yeah. that's crazy Right. Yeah. So how do you know <laughs> that yeah, the like, movie is the best if you haven't watched them, right? And yeah. we know, as I mentioned before, that the Academy is still 84% white and 68% male. What we're really talking about is a popularity contest amongst older white men because the average mm -hmm. age of an Academy member is early 50s, you know, late 50s, early 60s. Right. And so that's why, for example, every single year at the beginning of wars, award season, so November, December, every single year we get a war film because that's what older white men can relate to. Last year was 1917 and we can go all the way back to, you know, Platoon yeah. and, and so yeah, on. Saving Private Ryan and, and so many others. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's what, you know, that's what older white guys like to see. And then there's nothing wrong with that. But that also means that the Hollywood Reporter does an anonymous interview every year with an Oscar voter, right after the voting closes. And they ask them, 
why did you vote for an XYZ movie? Why did you vote for this per person for best actor, best actress? And because it's anonymous, they are very honest. And they will say things like, well, I didn't think that this was their best movie, but they're getting older. And I just figured like they had deserved an Oscar. And so I voted for them. Or, um, well, I had just finished reading Variety magazine and I saw the name of this movie and that was top of mind. And so I voted for that. That has nothing to do <laughs> with <laughs> how good the performance was, right? And so if we're talking about popularity contests amongst older white men, if we're talking about the fact that, especially since 2016 and Oscar So White took off, the actual telecast for the Oscars is not doing well in the ratings, then maybe we need to have a broader discussion about whether the Oscars and other award shows should still be considered the pinnacle in the film industry. So um, can you touch on with Parasite winning Best Picture in the last, uh, this past year at the Oscars, can you touch on kind of what that does for the whole movement with it being the, the first foreign film to ever win Best Picture and the ensemble cast that it had of diversity? Can you just kind of touch on um, how important you think that is moving forward? Absolutely. I, I think it's huge. Uh, Oscar So White was never just about Black people, right? I could have said Oscar's not Black enough or something. It wouldn't have been as catchy, but I could have done it, right? Um, but it really was about all marginalized communities, and that's based on race, gender, right? Because we can have a 60-year-old James Bond, but Viola Davis wants to suit up, right? And widows, and everybody's like, oh, no, an old lady can't possibly beat somebody's behind. Um, sexual orientation, Geography, as I mentioned, disability versus, you know, both um, visible and non-visible, um, and First Nation status. You know, you think Black folks have it better in entertainment. Let's talk about Native Americans, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I think a movie like Parasite winning is incredibly important because it's, and, and I was very surprised, to be honest. Once it won Best yeah. Foreign Film, I was like, oh, yeah. okay, that's it. They were going to give them that yeah. one. Um, but I think it says a lot of things. First, it says something you know, there was always this thought that um, people couldn't appreciate quote unquote foreign films because they have captions and God forbid we make Americans read, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, but, but that was actually the thought process. You know, that's why we haven't had them. Um, I think it, it does amazing things for the Asian American and Pacific Islander community um, because it does give that validation. Now, again, you know, I just sort of crapped all over the Oscars, but as of right now, they're still seen as the pinnacle in film. And so hopefully that means more opportunities for Asian American Pacific Islanders, both in front of and behind the camera. And we can talk about why it's important to see not only whose story is being told, but who is telling the story. Right. Um, you know, I think it's also important that um, that the type of movie that we saw was so important, um, you know, very often, especially in films um, in which black folks win, um, you know, and specifically black women, they're always experiencing some kind of trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. So Hattie McDaniel way back in in Gone with the Wind, which has been in the news recently, you know, was an enslaved woman. Um, even Whoopi Goldberg played this kooky psychic who may have had mental issues, you know, and ghosts. <laughs> Halle Berry yeah. was clearly, you know, impoverished and down on her luck. You know, it, we can't just exist, right? And so to see not one, but two Asian families coexisting, right, and having their own kind of trauma, but also just living their everyday lives was a lovely story for this to win on. Um, for them to win Best Picture. So, um, you know, often people said to me, oh, well, you know, Moonlight won Best Picture, so Oscar So White must be over. And, and so I got the same thing, you know, with Parasite. And it's like, well, you know, Barack Obama was president. Is racism over? Like, you know, you cannot cherry pick one movie out of 90 years or out of 10 years or whatever and say, oh, okay, this is what we're going to put all our eggs in the basket for and say that the that the issue is solved because we have one good day. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too because I remember reading one of your articles back um, bef before the Oscars, but when the nominations came out about um, Cynthia Erivo with what you just said about, you know, it can never be um, just a woman in a, in a normal role. It's always gotta be when they're playing something historically accurate, which is absolutely criminal. Um, right. so like if, you Washington it, like, if you think about it, um, 
you know, here we are in 2020, and we're not going to see as many films this year because of the pandemic, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, we have, to date, to my recollection, we've never had a romantic comedy um, that starred two people from the LGBT plus community, right? And why is that? Right, love, you know, falling in love and then falling out of love and then falling in love again is the arc of every single romantic comedy. That's not hard. Gay people can do that. Lesbians can do that, right? There's, there's nothing special about that particular formula. Um, we right. have the amazing Sir Patrick Stewart playing Professor Xavier in the X-Men series, right? And in that movie, for most of it, he's in a wheelchair. But we've never, and he's a superhero, right? He's the badasses of the badasses in that film. And yet we've never had a disabled person, an actual disabled person playing, visibly disabled, playing a superhero. Why is that in 2020? Because if you can, if you can believe in your mind, if you don't have any problem with Sir Patrick Stewart sitting in a chair, right, and being a superhero, then you shouldn't have any problem with any other person who actually uses a wheelchair being a superhero either. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic Good point. point. Um, can you touch on what, um, what you'd like to see change in the nomination process? I, I know you talked about um, the anonymous interviews and people not actually seeing the films before they vote, but could you touch on a little more in, in what you'd like to see changed in the nomination process? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly believe that, um, that if you're voting on uh, performances and saying that they're, that they are the best of the year that you should be you should be required to watch them I don't, I don't think that, you know I don't yeah. think that's asking too much right um, and and it's interesting you know you're and you're thinking about you know you thinking about the actors branch right and so yeah those people are a whole bunch of big-time celebrities and so you don't necessarily expect to see George Lucas you know or you know or Brad Pitt sitting in a theater although they do right but yeah. for most of for for the majority of them um, the screeners are actually sent to the academy members homes right so as long as you've got a DVD player or even a laptop that's you know it's got a DVD slot you're good to go so um, I think it would be super easy for um, the academy to put all of the films online. You know, all of the films, and in fact, you know, all 300 of them, like, you know, let's take up the internet for a little bit and put all 300, you know, behind all kinds of firewalls and password protected and all the rest of that stuff, but make them available so that there is no excuse why you didn't see a particular film because now you can do it in the comfort of your own home at two in the morning or whatever time you want to regardless of whether there's a movie theater open i think that would be a, a really easy fix um, sure. i think we still need to work on what the academy membership looks like right because i believe again you know not affirmative action or bigotry or whatever but we the consumers are the ones who pay our hard-earned money to either screen a film at home or to sit in a darkened theater. And so I believe that the films should reflect our experiences. And if we look at the de demographics in this country, the fastest rising demographic of moviegoers and entertainment consumers in the United States right now is the Latinx community. And yet, you know, other than like, um, Coco, you know, you're hard pressed to discuss films that reflect a Latinx experience that make it to the level of the Academy or the Golden Globes, right? And so I think there's more that needs to be done there. Um, one of the other things that the Academy did that they since walked back is to say that if you, because the way that, the way that the membership used to work is that, you know, if you were ever nominated for a film or you won, um, regardless of, you know, whether you're a cinematographer or actress or anything else, you were automatically inducted into the Academy. That's great. But if you did one film back in 1964 and you haven't worked since then, then maybe your vote shouldn't count as much as somebody who was actively working in the industry. Right. And so not only, you know, there's a reason why you were put into the Academy. Your work was considered top notch, right? Top five of the entire year. So it would be great if to get back into active status in the Academy, you had to mentor or work with 
a younger filmmaker and impart some of that knowledge that got you not, you know, into the academy in the first place and made you part of the film community again. Because again, it's older white folks. So instead, until, I'm sorry to say, but until some of those guys start dying off, <laughs> we're not going to see significant change if the academy doesn't make more substantive changes on the front end. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what were some of your favorite films of uh, last year? Oh, I don't do years well because everything runs together and I'm old. Um, okay. But let's see, was Into the Spider-Verse last year, 2019? I think it was 18, I believe. Yeah. Okay. All right, so because I, I love that and I just watched it the other day. Um, let's see. Oh, well, okay, Hair Love, which I, you know, oh. it's an animated short and one um, is the movie by my friend um, Matthew A. Cherry. Uh, it's a six minute animated short about a father doing his daughter's hair and, you know, and having a little trouble in the meantime. That was a fantastic film. Um, and love it, love it, love it. And not just because I know him, but um, it didn't hurt. Uh, let's see. There, there, I am in a privileged position that I am able to attend a lot of film festivals, you know, Sundance and, and Tribeca and some of the other ones. And so the interesting thing about that is those films have to get purchased, right? Or the general public never sees them. And oh. so um, there, I saw some great movies that may never see the light of day, unfortunately. Um, and so I, I'm always sort of stuck on them because they stay with me for, for a long time, but you all don't get to see them. Um, but, you know, and so on that, I will say people should not just go to their nearest cineplex that has like 24 screens, but some of the real magic happens at that indep independent theater, right? The smaller theater, yep. you may have one on or near campus, which is great, right? Go to that one and support them. And know that if you find out that there is a film um, that you wanna see that is not being played, tell the manager. Don't tell your friend who's working at the door and giving you free popcorn, letting you in on the side. Actually talk to the manager and say, hey, I would really love to see this film. And literally, if 10 people were to do that, the managers, it's supply and demand. Like I know y'all learned that in economics. It is supply and demand. If they, if they show, if you show demand, then they will supply that film. And it's really that easy. Yeah. I have a question. Um, it might be a little specific. Nathan asked you about some of your favorite movies in the in the past couple of years. Have you seen the movie The Hate You Give? I have. Yes, Angie. Yes, which was based on the book by Angie Thomas. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was um, a really good film and very relevant for right now. Yeah, I was gonna say I watched it a couple weeks ago um, with with everything going on, and it just really captivated me. Um, the first opening scene was. Maverick telling his kids um, the Black Panther rules and, and what happens when you get pulled over by a police officer and how that affected later on in the film um, and just how powerful and really how emotional that that movie was. Um, so can you can you touch on kind of your, your thoughts on that and how that plays into some of the things that we're seeing today with all the protests? Don't act mad. You gotta look calm. Answer their questions but don't tell them nothing extra. Keep your hands out your pockets. You drop something, leave that shit where it's at. Never. Leave that stuff where it's at. My bad. Now one day y'all gonna be with me and you best bet we gonna get pulled over. I don't mean I did something wrong. Maybe I made a mistake driving or maybe I ain't do nothing at all. You gonna see me with my hands like this. On the dashboard. Come on. Now you keep your hands posted because moving makes the police get all nervous. If I ain't with you, you ask for me. It can get real dangerous, so don't argue with them. But keep your hands where they can see them. This is how you gonna act. I was nine years old when I first got the talk. Seven, my half-brother, was ten. 
Sakani was one. That is um, about a black family and how they respond to police brutality and violence in their community, basically. Um, and, and it is very telling, you know, I have a 20 year old black son. And so we have that talk about driving while black and now, you know, walking while black and making, you know, and things that some people don't even have to think about because it's just mm -hmm. automatic. Um, we have that talk on a regular basis. Like, you know, I literally make him walk around the car while I sit on it, you know, while I sit inside and push the brake pedal to make sure that his, all of his lights are working. Right. And, you know, and to make sure that his registration is current and, you know, and the sticker on the back of the car and all the rest of that stuff, just so there isn't any additional reason to pull him over other than the fact that he's a black kid driving an SUV. And there are people in this country who think that black kids shouldn't drive SUVs, whatever that means. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's something interesting about art imitating life and life imitating art. Uh, and sometimes, you know, and there are folks who, you know, aren't going to listen to me talking about, um, you know, mass incarceration and police brutality and, and all the rest of that stuff, but they'll sit in the movie theater for two hours and hopefully something will stick for them. And so, you know, I think it's great that we have entertainment, not just movies, but also TV shows, um, you know, and theater, you know, actual like Broadway stuff, um, that people can go and hopefully learn, be educated as in addition to being entertained. I love that film. Yeah, that it was a great film, and there's so many. You know, you don't you mm -hmm. don't have to go far. And obviously, you know, a lot of movie theaters aren't reopened yet. But Thirteenth, um, the documentary by Ava DuVernay, is on Netflix, mm -hmm. and you will walk away from that thing changed. You know, I'm old, and I thought I was intelligent and knew a whole bunch of stuff. But um, you know, just listening to them list off the facts about where we are and how everything is connected um, is really a great film for people who want to know more. Um, you know, don't know where to start, but are interested in, in learning about these issues. Yeah, yeah. And, and that actually just transitions really well into, into the question I wanted to ask um, is you look at films like Fruitvale Station by Ryan Coogler and Queen and Slim, like some, some movies that were based on true events that are enlightening to a lot of people that didn't even know that that happened. So are there any movies like you just mentioned 13th, which is a great documentary. Um, are there any other movies or documentaries that you would recommend that would open some people's eyes to events that have happened that not a lot of people know about? Yeah, I, I think there are a bazillion. I mean, Malcolm X by Spike Lee, you know, long, mm -hmm. long time ago was great. You know, everybody thinks that Malcolm X was this huge polarizing figure, you know, and wanted to kill all the white folks or whatever. And that's not what it was. Uh, at all. You know, in fact, in my mind, um, Malcolm X was assassinated in part because he was bringing black folks and white folks together, you know, and, and that was the scary thing, you know, the black people you can keep segregated literally or figuratively off to the side. But, you know, just as we are seeing today, once you get white folks involved, then, you know, the powers that be say, oh, okay, we've got to take this thing seriously because, you know, everybody is interested now. Um, you know, there, there's a documentary um, about the Black Panther Party, which I think would be really interesting. Um, there's LA 92, um, um, which is an Oscar-winning Oscar film that would be great, talking about the aftermath of the Rodney King trial um, from obviously from 1992. Um, there, I mean, there are so many, you know, I, I would, you know, watch um, I Am Not Your Negro about James Baldwin, you know, who is mm -hmm. a prolific writer. Um, but, you know, and, and it's unfortunate, you know, I'm talking about movies about folks who were around back in the 60s, but we're still having these issues together today, you know, and so it's, it's all um, both relevant and relatable. And uh, so uh, we touched on earlier that you uh, were a lawyer for for 20 years. And uh, I was just curious of like how you think uh, practicing law for 20 years prepared you to lead this national movement. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I practiced campaign finance law. And so there was no nexus. It's not like I was an entertainment lawyer or something like that. There was no nexus between what I did pre-2015 to what I'm doing now. Uh, but what I think 
what has been helpful is, you know, you go to law school and among a whole bunch of stuff that that you need and, and even more that you probably don't, you know, you learn how to speak well, you learn how to write well, you learn how um, to make a cogent argument quickly, right? Because when, you know, very often when you get up before a judge, there's a limited amount of time that you have. And so you've got to get all your points in there and be persuasive during that time. And so I think all of that has helped me um, keep Oscar so white going, you know, now into its sixth year, you know, hashtags come and go every hour, every day. The fact that every single December and January, people are like, oh my God, it's Oscar so white 4.0, here it comes again. <laughs> you know, I think it, it speaks to its staying power. And so I, I truly believe that you have to meet people where they are. You know, I am addicted to Twitter, um, but I understand that there are like eight or nine people in the universe who don't use it. I don't get it, but I am aware they exist. Um, so it's important to, you know, meet people where they are, which meant, you know, to keep, to keep any movement going, you can't just do it online, right? And so I had to write, you know, so I wrote something for Variety and The Hollywood Reporter or whatever. I had to speak. So now I travel around the world um, talking about issues of diversity and inclusion and representation in the entertainment industry. And, you know, I, I have to be sort of persuasive when I do it, because otherwise it's just, okay, well, here's this crazy lady, you know, who's who has no connection to the industry and she wants to make these major changes. You know, we can sort of tune her out. Um, but I think it's it's my... Um, a lot of the skills that I learned in law school that have helped me to be, um, you know, persuasive from time to time. I forgot that Us was 2019. Oh my God, how good was that movie? Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm scrolling through and I, I definitely wanted to mention that. And Get Out is a great movie to watch, you know, as we're talking about, you know, what's going on in this country and people sort of opening their eyes to the microaggressions um, and sometimes macroaggressions that they perpetuate on people of color. We, um, we actually, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about our best films of the decade and Get Out was on all of our lists. It was, at, it was actually at the top of mine. Uh, huge fan of that film. So I'm glad you brought it up. And I actually just rewatched Us a couple of days ago. Um, absolutely fantastic. I, I love Jordan Peele and all the messaging that he puts in his films. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I love, yeah, I've had the opportunity to meet and talk with him a few times. And, you know, I just keep saying to him, you know, the things that you do are so intentional. Right. You know, yeah. from the T-shirt that somebody is wearing in the film to, you know, the messaging and, you know, and, and that's what I love about, you know, it's, it's never, ever the same. And I absolutely said I am not going to watch any horror movies because I don't like the gratuitous blood and whatever. And, you know, and I loved both Get Out and Us and can't wait to see what else he's doing. Another good one that came out Amer um, last year um, that is very topical for right now is American Sun. Um, Carrie Washington oh, yeah. starred. This one actually started on Broadway, and I I was there, fortunate enough to be like third row and saw it live. Oh wow! Uh, and then they decided to make a movie out of it, which, which is great because you know that's a much bigger audience. I believe it's on Netflix, mm -hmm. and it's really about a uh, a black woman dealing with the fact that her son didn't come home. And you know, again, as a as a black woman who <laughs> deals daily with you know the concerns about her son not coming home, it it definitely hit home for me and was a great film. Yeah. And um, as, as I was researching for this interview, I uh, noticed there's a, uh, there's a website that I think you contribute to, uh, Broadway Black or something, I'm forgetting the name. But uh, so I wanted to ask, cause I noticed that they started something called a Antonio Award, which is sort of like a black version of the Tony Awards. Mm -hmm. So I was curious if like, is this diversity issue prevalent in in other award shows? Like, is it it's not just the Oscars and the Golden Globes, but is it also the Tony Awards or the Emmys or, or anything it's, it's like all that? Of them. It, it's all of them because the power structures are the same in all of them. Um, I was the managing editor for Broadway Black back in the day. I'm not with them anymore, um, but I am aware of the Antonio Awards. And yeah, it's pervasive throughout all entertainment because throughout all entertainment, the gatekeepers are the same, meaning older black men, you know, 90% of the time. And that's not me saying, you know, all white people are bad or all old white people are bad, but it is me saying that um, people are reticent to change, right? And people stick with what they know. 
which is why we see, you know, the war films at the beginning of every award season, which is why we've got, you know, Fast and Furious 47 or whatever number we're on, you know, but the, you keep going back for more because it's an easy premise, it works, it makes you a lot of money, things go boom, right? And that's great, but it also means that, you know, the quieter, the, the sweeter, the, the more introspective films, we don't get to see those because you're putting all of your budget into making cars blow up, right? But the same things that we're seeing with respect to diversity and inclusion and representation in, um, in Hollywood with respect to film, we also see with respect to TV. Um, you know, it, I don't know if you guys watched Orange is the New Black, but or watched it back in the day. Um, but there was a specific episode in in which one of the um, black characters was killed by a cop there in the prison, right? And it was sort of like a Black Lives Matter episode, and you know, and all the other um, prisoners, you know, erupted and so on. And that that episode got a lot of backlash because it just wasn't done well. And then we looked to see who the writing room was. And it was nothing but white folks, right? And so, and that again, that's not bigotry or racism or anything else. That's saying you should write what you know. And if you're going to tackle a topic that is not familiar to you, you need to bring in a consultant of some kind, right? And so maybe you bring in a formerly incarcerated Black woman just to say, oh, well, we wouldn't have done this. This wouldn't have happened. Do this instead, right? The same way shows like Grey's Anatomy and ER back in the day or whatever have like doctors, <laughs> you know, on the set to say, oh, no, I wouldn't hold the scalpel this way. And this is called a B-fib or whatever the hell. You know, you do the same thing with topical issues, right? And so if, you, if it's not in your wheelhouse, get someone on set who can tell you more about it. It's the same way, I mean, you will see if it, in the recent past we've seen, um, especially Black women, take over the social media accounts of like famous white women, right, to sort of amplify Black voices. You're going to see that literally in this upcoming week, um, happen in Broadway. So we've seen it, Hollywood do it. Uh, I think we've seen the music industry do it to a lesser extent. Broadway is going to do the same thing because it is the same issues. I think it's seven um, families, that sounds kind of mafia-esque, like seven organizations own every single Broadway theater there is in New York City, right? And of course, they're all owned by older white men. And so because Broadway is so much smaller with respect to the number of plays and musicals they can put out every year, it's even more important that we ensure that we are highlighting the stories of everyone. So absolutely you can do Harry Potter, but also make sure that you are giving equal billing to something like American Sun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in regards to just, we, we've already touched on the Oscars and the need for more diversity with nominations. But as far as filmmaking and castings and everything like that, we're still absolutely nowhere where it should be. But do you think things are getting better as far as um, diversity and inclusion when it comes to castings and not only castings, but um, people that work on the film behind the scenes? Do you think that's getting better, even though it's still nowhere near it should be? Or, or is it a standstill? It's getting better, um, but I think that's happening because um, because the power structure is changing, right? At this point, you know, what we know is that diversity sells, you know, so if you are not thinking about inclusion, both in front of and behind the camera, you, big studio, is literally leaving money on the table now. Like, you know, look at Black Panther, $1.4 billion worldwide, right? Um, look at Fast and Furious, which I mentioned earlier. Nobody's going to call that a Black film or a multicultural film or whatever. But if you look at the cast, I mean, think about it. It's Tyrese. It's Vin Diesel. You have at least one woman in every film playing like a major role, not just, you know, whatever, changing the tires in the back or being, you know, the helpless damsel in distress, right? So it's a very diverse film with respect to the actors and actresses, but nobody thinks that way. They just keep making them because they make a gazillion dollars every time, right? And so that's an easy example of how you don't have to necessarily think about, oh, well, I've got to have one Black and one Asian and one Latinx, right? You don't have to fill quotas that way. If you tell a story well um, and you're, you, you are smart about it, people will come and see it, right? And so... It really is about what's going on behind the camera. So here's a good example of that. 
um, a screenwriter sits down and decides that they're going to make the next blockbuster film. Right. And their protagonist is this um, leggy, corn fed blonde who is, you know, 25 to 30 years old. Right. And she ends up saving the world in his screenplay. Now, once he takes that to his agent and then it gets to a producer and a director and it gets bought by the studio and whatever, and they start to cast it. The only person they're thinking about is Jennifer Lawrence and maybe Scarlett Johansson. But here's the question. What does her hair color have to do with how she saves the world? Right. And so if you go back to the very beginning and say it's a woman, period. Now that gives somebody like Zoe Saldana. Now, you know what I mean? Now, now that opens up to it can be anybody. And maybe, you know, it doesn't matter where she's from. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, other than like, you know, Batman being from Gotham, nobody really cares <laughs> about what state specifically any superheroes from. It can be Ohio. It can be Nebraska. It can be Chicago. Why not? And so who the screenwriter is matters, right? Who the producers are matter. Who the casting director, oh, well, you know, her hair, you know, she needs to be more racially ambiguous. What does that mean, right? All of their, every single step along the way is important with respect to inclusion. And so when I say, you know, I think people are taking the reins in their own hands, we've seen a lot of um, actors and actresses of color creating their own production companies. Michael B. Jordan has one, Viola Davis has one, John Boyega has one, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith have one, right? And so they're saying, we are not going to wait anymore for the big studios, the Paramounts and Universals and 20th Centuries to create the work that we wanna see. We're going to do it on our own and ensure that, you know, they've got inclusion writers attached. So that means, you know, maybe a certain percentage of your crew is from a particular community, whether that's a queer community or a race or, you know, or just a combo, it just looks like America, right? And so that's, I think, where we're going to see the change. And leading the way, obviously, is Ava DuVernay with her Array Now um, production company. And Tyler Perry, to be honest, you may not be, a, I'm not a huge Tyler Perry fan with respect to his movies, but I respect the hell out of his business acumen. Right. And some people don't realize part of Black Panther was filmed on the Tyler Perry studio set. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so you can say what you want to say about, you know, him wearing the dress and his characters being stereotypical and what have you. And, you know, him being the only writer for any of his shows and whatever. All valid, all valid critiques. But he created an empire on his own. And so for that, I give him a lot of respect. Yeah, one hundred percent. That yeah, I think you just said everything about Tyler Perry that I, I've shared uh, for the longest. <laughs> it's it's hard, you know. We want to love him, but it's like okay, you know. When I found out Medea was dying or whatever, I was like, okay, well, rest in peace, sis. You know, we're <laughs> uh, but you mentioned Ava DuVernay, and just recently I saw that she was uh, officially elected to the Academy's Board of Governors. Yep. Uh, which is uh, definitely a, a great trend in the right direction. So what what do you make of that move and uh, do you what do you expect to come from it? Yeah, I mean, I, all, all love and praise to Ava, right? Um, we will see um, what that position allows her to do, right? Because I know that she wants to disrupt everything and turn everything on its head, which is fantastic, right? But she is one person. And so I think, you know, we have to be careful that we don't put all of our, all of our loves and wishes and desires on one person and say, okay, you know, <laughs> you, you are the last Jedi. You know, yeah. and, you know, we are depending on you to take on the entire, you know, 100 year old academy and make these changes. Oh, and can, get it, can you get it done in the next 60 days, right? right. So we're <laughs> You know, I, it's not clear to me what the Board of Governors does, but I'm incredibly happy that she will be in those rooms um, to push back on any nonsense that may come down the pike. Absolutely. Uh, so I saw in 2018 that you became a spokesperson for uh, uh, Keep Birth Control Copay Free campaign. Are you, are you yes. still with that project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it never changes, you know, and, and the, I mean, I like to be sort of multifaceted, you know, so I do the entertainment stuff, but, you know, there are other issues that, that matter to me. I mean, the, the concern there was that, 
you know, <laughs> you know, you can get your Viagra, right, to, to keep things moving the way you want them to move, but then, but the, you know, but then you want to fight with, you know, but, you know, you're pro-life, right, <laughs> but you don't want women to have birth control, but then when they do, so then they, you know, they get pregnant, and maybe they don't want to keep the child, or whatever the case may be, and so then the child is in the system, but once that child is born, you know, oh, well, then they just need to go off to foster care, right, and so for me, women should be able to um, control their bodies and have the health care that they need, including birth control, if they choose to take it. You know, not every woman, so, you know, I'm 50. I'm not planning on having any more kids ever, ever. Um, and this is probably TMI, but I don't care. Um, you know, but I take birth control because I've got an underlying health issue and the birth control helps to study it out because it gives my body more estrogen. Right. So not everybody who takes birth control is taking it because they want to prevent pregnancy. But, you know, the vast majority, I think it's over 75 percent of women in this country take birth control at some point in their lives. That that pill that they take every day should not be cost prohibitive because you know what is having a child that you're not ready to have. You know, Absolutely. so I would much yeah. rather have free birth control up front than have to help that woman get diapers and formula and put that child through school. And not only that, but God forbid you're saving taxpayers down the road tons of money because, I mean, taking the pill and having uh, the heck the word I'm looking for, having control over your birth control and, and taking the pill and whatever measure you want versus not being able to do it in 18 years of. Yeah. That's right. A, a child in the system, you know, or, you know, or whatever it is, child support, and then people have to clog up the court system, getting that taken care of. I mean, there's just so many issues on the back end that if you just make birth control, and it's, it's making the copay free, right? And so it just makes it more affordable to women, especially college age women. You know, you, I mean, it's like, you shouldn't have to choose between buying your textbooks and buying your birth control so that you don't end up accidentally pregnant and then have to keep the child and then have to, you know, quit college, right? So, and, and birth control without the copay being free can be very expensive, hundreds of dollars a month. What college student has that, right? Except, right. except the rich college students. And then we're having a class issue, right? right. So, so birth control for marginalized kids, you know, kids who, um, you know, are struggling to get by in college, you know, it's unaffordable for them. It's cost prohibitive. But, you know, the folks whose parents pay for them to get into college or, you know, whatever, or, you know, they're living in a fantastic apartment as a freshman and don't have to worry about money and they've got this brand new car. Of course, it's not an issue for them. So we always need to think about how is this affecting the most marginalized among us? You know, not every issue is going to affect you directly. And it may not even affect somebody you know. But if you're always thinking in your head, how does this affect marginalized people, right? Because it's not going to be any skin off your nose. In fact, as you know, Jeremy, you're absolutely right. It's going to be more money out of your check, <laughs> you know, if you don't support on the front end, people just being able to get the health care that they need. Yeah. And furthermore, a college student shouldn't have to make, I hate to use this analogy, but a life and death decision over, hey, I'm getting my degree or, hey, I have to put everything on hold and now I have... A child coming you know that that it shouldn't have to be like that exactly all right i wanted to i wanted to ask uh i don't know if this will be our last question or, or not i don't know if nathan has anything else but uh what does an academy award ceremony look like with april rain in charge oh man it, <laughs> it looks like the best cookout ever <laughs> Ooh, I want to um, go. I mean, well, first of all, so I, I will say that uh, I guess in 2000, I don't even know anymore, 2018, 2019, one of them, I did attend the, the Academy Awards. I, you know, again, years run together for me. So it was either last year or the year before. Um, and it, it was a very interesting experience. And my plus one was my son, which was fantastic, right? And he put out everything. He did like every single minute on IG Live. And, you know, it was great. Um, but it is a long ass day. I, can we cuss on this? I'm sorry. Yes. yes. Okay. 
Okay, sorry. Uh, it, it was a long day. And, you know, and especially so for women, because we got to do the hair and the makeup and the nails and everything has to be coordinated. And it takes months to find the right dress and then the shoes to go with the dress and yada, yada. And then you can't eat between the time that you find the dress and you put the dress on because you don't, you know, it is a lot. Um, so if I never go, you know, and I'm, I'm very privileged and very thankful to have had that opportunity, but if I never go again, I'm good because at home I am in my bunny slippers and I can pause it when I need to go get some more snacks on the TV or whatever the case may be. So an Oscar award ceremony to me, um, it, it would be closer to the Golden Globes. Do you notice that the, like the Golden Globes actually has dinner and then by the time the ceremony actually starts, everybody's drunk. Right, yeah. everybody, and that's why you get the, that's why you get this. No, that's true. They yeah. the alcohol is free flowing at the Academy Awards. They give you some appetizers once you walk in, and it literally takes hours to walk that carpet and then to talk to all of the press and go up the stairs and and you know and and they give you popcorn or whatever, and that's it. And it's a, as you know from you know even when you're watching at home, it's a three and a half hour ceremony, and you're sitting in this theater that was made for people that don't have my hips, you know. And so these seats are really narrow. Your feet are killing you. You haven't eaten all day. All they give you is one bag of popcorn, right? But you've got to look stunning, you know, for hours and hours and hours. So you got to be in a good mood. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be realistic about it. Like it looks fantastic. And again, I recognize my privilege in being able to go. Um, but a, an Oscar ceremony to me would be much more casual. Like, you know, you wear, you know, you're not wearing the gowns, you know, please come in tennis shoes. Like, you know, and let's, let's just have a party where we're celebrating us you know, and, and make it more about the people, you know what I mean? Right. As opposed to this glitz and glam thing, you know, and, and, you know, to be honest, I tune in, well, you know, there were a couple of years that we said we weren't going to watch. It wasn't a, an official boycott, but it's like, you know what, if you're not representing me, then I'm not going to give you my ratings by watching. Right. But before Oscar So White, I would watch every single year. Like, you know, I, there, I would rope off the TV. There were special snacks involved. This is mommy's night. Y'all need to go, you know, go to bed early um, because I'm gonna have the TV, for, you know, and I do the pre-show with the fashion and then I do the post-show, all of that stuff. So it was like a six hour day, right? In front of the TV. Um, but now that I've been there, it, it was definitely like a Wizard of Oz pull the curtain back moment. It's like, oh, okay, got it. You know, yes, thank you for, you know, thank you, thank you for allowing me to come this year. I'm good. Mm, that is revealing. Wow. <laughs> I was not expecting that. That is, I mean, that you is know, a... and again, you know, you see famous people like, you know, again, my son was there with me. And so, and, and in fact, he is the extrovert and I am very much an introvert. So he walked right up to Queen Latifah and was having a nice little <laughs> chat. Like he was on the dance floor with Jennifer Lewis, the grandma from Blackish, you know. Wow. At one point he gave her, uh, he, I mean, she gave him her purse, you know, and there is no better compliment, you know, in the black woman community than, than you know, I trust you enough to hold my purse for a little while, right? Um, you know, and, you know, he took a picture with Michael B. Jordan, who he loved, you know, so he had a great time. So I'm not saying it was, it was all bad. I'm just saying that it's not all glitz and all glam as you would expect. Like I, I was nearly in tears, you know, I had him carry a little cute little silk bag. Cause you know, all you can have is that tiny little person, which barely fits, you know, one Tic Tac, right. You know, so I had him carry for me a cute little silk drawstring bag that I could put some flats in, you know, because I was wearing like five inch stiletto heels and those lasted all of like 32 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. uh, real quick. I have a question for you. Um, cause going on with our film code podcast, I'm curious in all the years of all the movies that you've seen, whether it be classical or not, what would be your favorite top one movie that you've seen throughout your life? You know, uh, probably Godfather two. Ooh, ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah, and and in my and in my top five, and and it's hard because I go back between Godfather one and two. We do not speak of three. Um, <laughs> I'm with you on that, absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't know. The only thing Godfather three gave us 
was a beautiful Andy Garcia. But other than that, yeah, they, they could have kept that whole movie. And if you're not into Andy, you got nothing out of that. That's like the but, bastard like, child of the Godfather. Oh my movie. goodness! It, and you know, and he's Cuban. Come on. <laughs> anyway, um, so Godfather one and two, um, Usual Suspects, um, and you know, although okay. it's true, Kevin, you know, from now until forever, you know, we don't rock with Kevin anymore, but we still love that movie. Um, and Black Panther are you know like four of my top five. You know, I I just think. Uh, Ryan did such an, an amazing job with that film. And so, you know, not only the cinematography and the acting, and but, you know, because of my position now, I got to know a lot of what was happening behind the scenes as well. Um, and so that movie for me, you know, it has a special place in my heart. Obviously, I'm a very big Marvel fan. Don't ask me anything from the comic books, only the films, thank you. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, so that, that would be four of my top five. I'm not sure what number five would be. Nice, nice. I appreciate that. And also, real quick, I mean, I know when you first started the hashtag Oscar So White, I imagine that you probably didn't expect it. Like you said, you went to work and such, but I'm sure you didn't expect it to get so big. But now that it's become what it's become, what what would be what's your future hopes for for everything that you're doing today? Like what what else can we expect? Oh, for me personally, I I, I don't know. I mean, this, this, all of this has been sort of by the seat of my pants, you know? I, I mean, I had to, um, you know, when Oscars So White hit back in 2015, I had to figure out, well, hell, how white are the Oscars? And turns out, like, Snow White, like, paper, co you know, copy paper white, like, cannot get any, you know, <laughs> just white, white, white. Um, and, you know, so I had to educate myself really well. So I'm, I'm not sure what happens with me. But what I will say is, um, for the future, what I want to see is more people doing exactly what I did. You know, I, I, you know, I think I'm, you know, the bomb.com. Oh my God, that does, that definitely dated me. I think I'm <laughs> lit or whatever the millennials are saying this day. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I didn't do anything um, that revolutionary in the sense that I was saying the same things that everybody else has been saying for decades, right? So I stand on the shoulders of Eartha Kitt and Harry Belafonte and Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee and so many other actors of color and marginalized actors who have been screaming, you know, their lungs out saying we need more inclusion and representation, even if they weren't using those specific words, right? Diversity and inclusion are the buzzwords of the day. Um, but, you know, I want people who feel that there is an issue to, on, on whatever issue, you know, it doesn't have to be entertainment, it can be environment or mass incarceration or, you know, women's right to choose or whatever the issue is for you. I want people to speak out more and take a stand, right? And then follow that up and really see what they can make happen um, to make substantive change because you really can do it. I, you know, again, I didn't have any contacts when I started out. Um, but it, it really is possible. And I think we're seeing that a lot of that today, not just as an offshoot to the movement for Black Lives, but especially with the Gen Z folks that are coming up, like Greta Thunberg, you know, and, and even Malala, you know, one person making a difference because they're speaking out about some type of injustice that they perceive um, and staying with that message and turning that moment into a movement. And that's what I want to see um, but I definitely don't need to be a part of it. I mean, I, I use you as an example because, I mean, when you first mentioned about the Oscar So White hashtag, I mean, like you said, you you didn't you know it was going to go that far. But, I mean, you obviously had the dedication, the drive, and the know-how. And, I mean, you, you made it what it is, and you seem to be a very dedicated person. And I applaud your efforts and everything you have done thus far. So I appreciate it. No, well, thank you very much, Jeremy. You know, I, what, I just want to see – Everybody should have the opportunity to see themselves portrayed on film, right? And that's regardless of who you are. If you're a queer kid in Nebraska, or you're a trans kid in Florida, or if you're a disabled kid in New Mexico, it doesn't matter, right? Everybody deserves to have their story told. And so Absolutely. the goal of Oscar So White is that there's more inclusion within the entertainment industry, both in front of and behind the camera. So we have more people um, from diverse backgrounds telling those stories. 
I love Fast and Furious, and we can do Fast and Furious 42, you know, on planet Mars, whatever, I'm down, I'm there, you're gonna get my $15, but let's also see the film about people just existing and, you know, and living and, and having their everyday lives that really speak to, um, you know, especially young kids growing up who, you know, need to know that there's somebody out there that's just like them. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Like we said, um, it's the weekend and we know how busy you are. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm sure. I yeah, I appreciate it. You wanted me to, so feel free to edit. Oh, oh uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's my job. I'll, I'll get right on that. Uh, <laughs> yes, and make me look even thinner. That's, that's the goal. How, um, however you make, make my voice sound thinner. Can you do that for me? <laughs> I will do my best. I'm not Thank entirely you, totally sure what that means. So <laughs> That's not my problem. You guys bring that out. For, um, for all of our listeners that, that want to follow you and keep up with what you're doing, what is the best way for them to do that? Oh, I highly don't recommend that. Um, so... <laughs> Across all platforms, I am Reign of April, my name backwards, R-E-I-G-N-O-F as in Frank, A-P-R-I-L. I am most prolific on Twitter, but um, I ha you're never going to find me on TikTok. Um, but, you know, but you'll also find like pretty pictures on Instagram, that kind of thing. And I keep Facebook so my mama knows where I am when I'm traveling. Fair enough. All right. Uh, April Rain, we thank you so much for joining thank us so much. on this episode of Film Code. Uh, thank you guys for doing what you do. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. People are listening. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good day. You too. You too. too.